0: So if you want to turn in your Bibles to a certain passage, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 6. And I gave you the handouts on the table if you would like one of those to follow along. I gave you most of the scripture references. I will hop around to a few kind of quick tonight. So I won't necessarily wait for you to turn to all of them uh, for all of them tonight. But go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 6 if you'd like to, to start there. Um, but while you're doing that, uh, you may not know it, but you may very well suffer from nomophobia. All right. Nomophobia. Anybody have any idea what nomophobia is? The fear of, being said. <laughs> the fear of having no said to you? That could be, uh, yeah, It's not it though. Or, or like garden <laughs> oh, God. oh the, the fear of garden gnomes? That's probably a real fear. That's probably a real It's not the fear of garden gnomes. Nomophobia is actually... Yeah. Nomophobia is actually... No, it's the fear of being away from your phone. It's the fear from not having your phone, which is actually a legitimate thing. Like research has been done on this. And actually, I don't, it's hard to believe, but it must be true because I mean, I read it in some pretty legit places. Like 66% of people have some degree of nomophobia and about 77% of 18 to 24 year olds like you guys have a fear of being without your phone for a period of time. Right? You may have had that moment where like you lost your phone for like a couple hours or a day and you were like really stressed because you're like, what if someone calls me or texts me or like, I won't have my phone. Like I'm going to stay in touch, you know, and uh, you may not feel that way, but apparently uh, a pretty high percentage of people have this. But even on top of that, let me give you a few other statistics to kind of support that. All right. So 58% of people don't go one waking hour without checking their phone. I could see that. I probably am in that 58%. All right. 59% of people check email as it comes in, like notifications. And 89% of people check it even on vacation, like while they're on break. Uh, 80% of teenagers sleep with their phones. I think I talked about that before, like having it with you, like a teddy bear. Um, And 84% of people believe they could not go one day without their phone. 84%. Man, it's really high. Um, But it's hard these days. And then here's the thing. This blows my mind. Teens send an average of 3,339 texts every month. And girls tend to send about 4,000 texts a month. That's like six per hour per day, I think, every hour. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of things. That's a lot of emojis to send during, uh, during, um, during the week. All right, so that's just interesting facts about technology, how we use our phones, right? But if you're like me, I can relate to that because I fall into some of those categories, and especially when it comes to just like this wrestling with technology and like the benefits versus the difficulties. Because for me, I've mentioned before, but I I definitely feel like I have a love-hate relationship with technology. Like I love a lot of the benefits it gives us, like the connection, um, entertainment, the convenience, like you know me. Um, Like if I don't put a meeting in my phone, then you should just not expect me to be there because I'm not going to remember. I did that last week. I didn't (laughs) put it in my phone and I missed a meeting and I felt really bad about it. Um, But uh, yeah, like I, I love that stuff. But yet, in some ways, I, I hate the fact that it does seem to own me in some ways. like it, it controls me. The fact that every time it goes off, I have this deep urge to go ahead and figure out what it's telling me, what I need to do, text back that person, although I'm not the best at that. Um, but like checking that notification, reading that email, that kind of stuff. right? And I, I don't like how much it affects me in that kind of way. And you probably felt that way before, and maybe even as you begin to think more about this, you realize that. But I like the way, I think I put this in your notes, but Kerry Newoff, who's a pastor up in Canada, uh, one of the Canadians, um, he said this, he says, like money, social media is a great servant, but a horrible master. It's a great servant, but a horrible master. And I really can resonate with that, um, because like I said before, social media is a great supplement to relationships, but it's not a great, uh, wait, no, it's a great compliment, not a great supplement. I got that backwards. It's a great compliment, but not a great supplement. It's not a great replacement to relationships. And we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 6 tonight kind of that idea. So look at 1 Corinthians 6 with me, if you will. Look at verse 12. I'm going to start here. Because tonight we're talking about this idea of rest and what does it mean uh, to get rest, how does technology affect our restfulness, and what does it mean to be still, and why do we need this? All right, so we're going to see this kind of idea in 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 12 says this, uh, All things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So if you know the context of the book of Corinthians, you know that Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, right? And the church in Corinth, anybody know much about Corinth? Was it like a, a very righteous, like good city? Anybody know? No, Hannah's shaking her head. Yeah, yeah it was very immoral. It was like the ancient version of like Vegas, right? It was ancient Las Vegas. Like if you, if you were looking for something to get into, like trouble-wise, you could go to Corinth and probably find it, right? It, there was a lot that went on there. That's why when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he addresses lots of issues because they were heavily influenced by those things, like lots of sexual immorality, like just all kinds of mess that they're dealing with. And that's why this, those things are addressed in the book of Corinthians, and so, but one of these things Paul mentions kind of in this conversation is he quotes them, like I say, because it was really a, a letter correspondence kind of thing that Paul wrote a letter and they wrote a letter back. And, um, but with that, at one point he quotes them and says this thing in verse 12, where all things are lawful for me. Apparently that was like a slogan, like in the Corinthian church that, well, every, everything's lawful for me. Like we, we we're free in Christ to do whatever we want to, right? Because he's paid for our, for our sins, right? You may have heard this idea before, like I've been forgiven my sins so I can do whatever, right? It's not going to be held against me that kind of thing. And it's kind of what he's getting at, but Paul kind of takes that statement and even turns it back on them and says, okay, well, even if you talk about this, the law of like the Old Testament and say, yeah, we've been made free in Christ from like earning our righteousness in the law. Basically what he says here is, yeah, all things might be lawful for you, but they're not all helpful. And I love the way he says it, like that all things might be lawful for me, but I choose and I will not be dominated. Some translations even say mastered by anything. Right? I won't be mastered by anything, because what Paul's trying to express to them in Corinth is how in Christ, yeah, we have the freedom to do many things, but just because we can do something doesn't mean we shouldn't, or doesn't mean we should, right? Just because I can do it doesn't mean I should. And that relates a lot to this idea of, like, things dominating us and things mastering us, because... I didn't give this to you on your note sheet, but in the second letter he wrote to the Corinthian church, Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians if you're certain politicians, Second um, Corinthians 5.14, right, says this, it says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So what Paul says, comparing those statements, is, yeah, I don't want to be mastered by anything. I don't want to be controlled by anything except for the love of Christ, the power of Christ. And we're going to unpack that more uh, in a minute. But because Christ has died for us and saved us from our sin and saved us from being a slave to this, the you know the affirmation of, of this world and feeling like we're, we, we need um, just this stuff, the, the things that kind of fight for our affection in this world to fulfill us to provide us identity, because Christ has set us free from that to find ultimate identity and satisfaction in him, when you say, yeah, I'm not going to be controlled by those things. I'm going to be controlled by the power and the love of Christ. I've been set free from living for myself, and I've been set free to live for Christ. So what this means is this. It's like that I don't want to be mastered personally. I don't want to be mastered by like an addiction to food, as great as jalapenos is, like, I don't want to be addicted to jalapenos, all right? Worse addictions you could have, right? But um, I don't want to be addicted to that. Like, I don't want to be mastered by material possessions, addiction to stuff, to Amazon, as awesome as it is, right? I don't want to be um, addicted to Amazon. I, want to, I don't want to be mastered by looking at things that are inappropriate for me to look at online. Uh, I don't want to be mastered by what people think of me and their opinions. And also, I don't, I don't want to be mastered by technology, right? But if I'm honest, sometimes I am. Sometimes it controls me more than it should. Sometimes the, the love of Christ is probably less a controlling factor than technology and the constant distraction that it provides in my life. And so maybe you're like me in that kind of way, and you, you can resonate with that. Well, here's some self-diagnosis questions for you to think about. Think about this. What, what's, what's the last thing that you do each day before you go to sleep? Do you look at your phone? Right? Yeah. I, honestly, I, I do more than I want to admit. Like I, I scroll through whatever, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. It's one of the last things I do each day. What's the first thing you do each day? Is it check your email, look at Facebook, look at whatever Instagram? Is that the first thing you do each day? Uh, Do you feel compelled to check your phone while you're like in line, like uh, at the grocery store, like fast food, the bank? Do you feel compelled to check your phone when you're walking to class? Like, everyone's, like, tripping over each other because they're always looking at their phone on campus. Um, we were doing the Easter outreach last week, and so many people walked by us, like, and did not acknowledge us because they had the headphones going on and they had the, the phone in front of them. I'm like, I know you can hear me. I know you hear me offering you candy. You're just ignoring me. Um, do you feel compelled to, uh, to check, to look at your phone before, as class starts? Like, it's a good way for you to ignore people around you in class <laughs> and, like, kind of play the introvert card. Uh, would you rather give a mugger your purse or your wallet than your phone? Like, which these days are kind of becoming one and the same because you have, like, you know, bank stuff on your, on your phone. But would you rather give them your, your personal wallet than your phone? If that's the case, then you may be struggling with being mastered by technology in some kind of way. And you may need to take a, a cyber Sabbath, and we'll unpack that in a minute, but take it some time away from your phone. But, uh, but here's the thing, if we constantly allow ourselves, and I allow myself to be distracted... Buy things like this, and if I don't do what Paul says in sec- Second Corinthians 10 5, and take every thought captive to Christ, then our minds are never going to shut down. And this is one thing I've seen in my life, is how our brains are like a motor, like an engine. I don't know much about that kind of stuff. I was civil engineering, not mechanical, so I know not much about engines. Um, but I know that our brains can function like engines in the sense that social media and technology and phones can really do a thing where it almost as like I'm sitting in idle. Like I'm just sitting like in the parking lot in park, but I'm pressing the gas down. I'm running the RPMs up in my brain, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not making any, any, I'm not doing this a lot. I'm making any meaningful motion with it. And so the RPMs of my brain are running all the time and I'm constantly distracted. But that also can lead to us working, um, not, not being productive for long periods of time, like being highly distracted and feel like our attention span is like getting shorter and shorter and shorter because that technology puts before us like short nuggets of information. And we get constantly distracted because, like, it's pinging us all the time with new things. That's, that's why, like, pocket points, I feel like, is such a thing is because it, like, rewards you by not looking at your phone. <laughs> Which, you know, a couple of years ago, and probably, you know, five or ten years ago, wouldn't even been, like, a concern. But now it's, like, you know, kind of awesome because you can get free Chick-fil-A from it, I think. But, um, but still, that's a, an issue. We may feel, if we get too mastered by technology, we may, we may feel overwhelmed. And I don't even know why. Like, we may feel really anxious and not even be sure why we feel so anxious. Like we may become short with people that are close to us. Like we may become kind of frustrated with them because we're used to interacting maybe more with technology than we are with people sometimes. We may feel spiritually exhausted and feel kind of just burnt out in some ways. Like we may, we may have easy access to the Bible and have like the Bible app on my phone or the ESV Bible app on my phone, but like not even feel like I have a lot of depth in my time with the Lord. And I did have a lot of depth in my, in my prayer time and in my, in my time in the Word. We have easy access to it, right? But we don't go very deep with it because we're constantly distracted and we're used to kind of being like in the shallow end, thought-wise. You know what I mean? So, and really what happens is we end up longing for something more, something deeper, yet we keep returning to the source of discontentment, which isn't going to bring us any peace, right? We, look, we keep looking to this source to bring us some kind of contentment and some kind of you know, entertainment, some kind of fulfillment, but... It's not designed to bring us that, right? And all of us would agree that like our bodies need rest, like we need sleep. Like, last year we talked about busyness during a, a series we did last spring. And I did a whole night not just talking about sleep, but I talked about sleep a lot because it's important. And Sometimes you don't get enough sleep, right? And you need to sleep because it's good for you. You get sick, you get burnout. It's a spiritual thing. D.A. Carson said sometimes the most spiritual thing someone can do is get a good night's sleep. And he's like a big theologian, so he's way smarter than me, right? And so, um, uh-huh. And I can use some math to show you why sleep is important, right? But we all agree that that stuff's important, right? But we don't always think about how not only do our bodies need rest, but our souls need rest, right? Our our hearts need rest as well. And you can't get that from just sleeping. (laughs) You need need some more stuff there. And so we'll make a transition here with this. But so much of our restlessness as it relates to, like, social media and technology really comes from the fact that we want to feel wanted. We need to feel wanted. We need to feel appreciated, connected, and loved. But all of that, you know, we can find some elements of that in social media and technology, but it's all very shallow, very artificial. And the true elements of that are only found in Christ, right? The true aspects of feeling wanted, appreciated, connected, and loved is primarily found in Christ before it can be found anywhere else in any any person or any supplement of technology right so that's the first thing I want you guys to see tonight I gave it on your sheet there but God has a special rest in Christ for us right he has a special rest in Christ for us and so as we talk about rest and like being still we got to get this thing first th- this right first so well, we got to get this Christ centered element in there first because if we don't then I'm just going to give you a bunch of good advice about how to you know chill and it's not going to be you know very helpful, because it's not Christ-centered. It's not gospel-centered, right? So when you get this, this part right, and then we can move on. So God has a special rest for us in Christ. Look at Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. Um, this is a, a great couple of verses talking about rest and Sabbath, and uh, we even mentioned this, I think, if, if you were with us a year ago, we looked at these verses a little bit. But Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 says this. This is, um, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, so some people think Apollos wrote it, but um, whoever wrote Hebrews <laughs> says says this to us. He says, "So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall, but the same sort of disobedience." Here's the thing: the writer of Hebrews is using like rest in the Sabbath as like a kind of parallel. Here. And you guys may know the story of creation, right? Where God worked for six days and creating the world, then on the seventh day, he did what? He rested. Or he stopped, right? Well, here's a question. Easy Sunday school question. Does God get tired? No. You're good theolo- theologians, right? You guys are good theologians. Yeah. He doesn't get tired, right? God is the author of everything. Like he doesn't he made energy, right? So he doesn't get tired. Like he is energy in himself, right? So he doesn't get tired. So if he rested on the seventh day it wasn't because he was tired right right then why did god rest on the seventh day any thoughts yeah as an example yeah that's that's a great point so there's some other parts with that, that i think as well so as an example to us right any more stuff any more thoughts why did god rest look at you, you remember that from last year maybe okay i had a moment where I thought maybe I made an impact in your life, but I guess not. Um, no, uh, no, I'm kidding. I, I'm kidding. No, yeah, that's not it. No. Yeah. So yeah, as an example, yeah, because I mean, the Ten Commandments tell us um, that God rested on the seventh day as an example to Israel, as an example to us. Also, yeah, because he delighted, right? What did God say when he finished everything, when he finished creation? It is good, right? It's, when we created man, it's very good, right? So what that means then is that God rested on the seventh day, not because he was like tired, not because he got bored and was like, I'm done making stuff. I'm just going to chill for like a day, however long that is, depending on. He rested as he finished his work, saw that his creation part was was done, and he was delighted and he took deep satisfaction in what he had done. So the seventh day was for him to simply because out of his satisfaction, he said, you know, I'm just going to rest and enjoy Right, what I've done, I've found fulfillment in my work because it's good, right? So what the Hebrew, writer of Hebrews is telling us here is that we can enter into that rest, that Sabbath rest in a similar way. But the struggle is this, right? hashtag struggle is this, is that we, we can't find deep fulfillment and satisfaction in ourselves, Right? Because if you're like me, I'm a perfectionist, I'm never satisfied with like what I do, right? And we are, Martin Luther would say, we're hardwired for works righteousness. We're hardwired to justify ourselves and to prove to ourselves and other people that we're good enough and that, we, that we're awesome, that we can do enough. And so on our own, we're never satisfied. We're never satisfied with how good we are. We can never have that deep rest of feeling like, man, like my life is just good. I have accomplished enough. I've done good enough. I'm, things are good. Like it is good. We always have this deep, this deep inner sense of like dissatisfaction in some kind of way. Even if we have some element of satisfaction that we're, we recognize something's wrong, that it's not good enough, right? And the only way we can enter this Sabbath rest like the writer of Hebrews is talking about is about something outside of ourselves, right? About entering into that rest that's offered us in Christ. Because what's the last thing that Jesus said on the cross before he died? I mentioned this in my devotion last week. But he said it's finished, right? Tetelestai, it is finished. Right? That it's done, that all that um, was required of you, right, to be with God forever, to have a, um, to have a righteous life, to have that perfect life that, that, um, that God requires for in- people to enter in to be with him forever in the new heaven, new earth, has been accomplished, right? All that has to be done for you has been accomplished in Christ. So you can, you can look at your life now, not because of what you've done, but if you put your faith in Jesus, you can look at your, um, to Christ and say, listen, what Christ did for me, now applies to my life, so I can look at my life now and say, not what I've done, but what Christ has done means that it is finished, it is good, that I can have deep, uh, deep fulfillment, deep rest, deep satisfaction in my life because of what Christ has done for me, right? And we can find that rest in Christ, and we can enter that Sabbath rest, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here, when Sabbath rests, okay? So we've got to get that part um, right first, before we can move on to the second part. I love how Augustine said it, I'm not sure if I gave you this in the, in the um, notes, but St. Augustine, or Augustine, depending on how academic you are, um, said this. He said, You have made us, he's talking to God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our soul is restless until it finds rest in you. Until it finds rest in you. And that's, that's so true. If we don't find our rest in what Christ has done for us, in our identity in Christ, then everything else is going to be a striving, a chasing for the wind. It's never going to be enough for us to feel deep sense, a deep sense of fulfillment and satisfaction, joy, life, peace, all the fruits of the Spirit, right? It's got to be found in Christ first. And Jesus invites us to, to see that in Matthew 11, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Um, I give you this. You've heard this before more than likely if you know much about um, the Bible. Um, but Jesus says to us, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. All right? so we've heard that verse probably a lot before. You may be familiar with that. You may have it painted like on your wall. You may have painted like a made a nice Instagram quote of it or something at some point. Um, but when, it, when Jesus says yoke, like you may have heard that so much you don't understand like what that means. Yoke is a common phrase that rabbis would use back in that time for their teachings right? Like the kind of lifestyle they would invite people to come into, like their commands of, do this and don't do this, and, and this is how you can live and, and, you know, live under my yoke, right? So when Jesus says, take my yoke, he's talking about his commands that both restrict and guide. He says, take that upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lonely at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you know that his yoke is not exactly um, achievable on our own because Jesus tells us, hey, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Hey, if you ever think about, uh, think lustful thoughts about someone in your heart, you might as well commit adultery. Hey, if you ever are angry and bitter and don't forgive someone in your heart, you might as well murder them. Like the core of sin is your heart. It's not just your actions. And his yoke in that way is very hard, Right? But the reason he can say that his yoke is easy, his burden is light is because the point is, is the fact that you aren't good enough, <laughs> that you can never measure up to his standards of perfection apart from what he's done for you and apart from the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And so the rabbis back in that day would say, hey, do this, 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 or this, and this, and you'll be good enough. And, they, and people began to realize over and over again, I'm not good enough and I can't measure up to that. Jesus says, hey, my yoke is easy, my burden is light because I've been good enough for you, All right? Like he came and was there for the people who, broke, who like felt broken by the rules of religion, right? I've heard it said he, he broke the rules of religion so we could be broke, um to save those broken by the rules of religion, right? And so he provides rest in that sense that we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can find the sense of deep fulfillment that we can begin to live of life and begin this process of sanctification, growing in Christ, where we can become more like him and experiences this rest of his burden being e- being light and his joke being easy, right? It's got to start with Christ. We have to find our deep sense of satisfaction in Him first before we move on, right? So, with that said, I think we understand we got to find our rest first in Christ. In that sense, before we begin to move on. So, with that said, with, with that said, that God has a special rest for us in Christ. Look at the second part of this thing. How do we find rest? So if we find our rest primarily in Christ and what he's done for us, right, and we know we need to repent and believe, surrender our lives to Christ and believe in what he's done for us to find true rest and a true relationship with God, if we've got that part right, what about us who are in Christ? How do we practice this idea of finding rest? How do we practice this idea of being still? Well, the first part of that I just told you is be still, right? Be still. This is important because we struggle with being still. Like some of y'all have, might not have like, you might have little cousins, little nephews who are like, are little. And they are like squirmy like all the time and like they cannot be still. Like they just always want to run around. Even when they sit down, they're like kicking their legs and stuff. You just want to look at me like, be still. Like sit, stop. You know, <laughs> you may have like a friend, like you may have like college friends who do the same thing. Like you sit by them and watch. It. Noah's like, that's me. You know, um, that can be me sometimes. I, I do the. If I have enough coffee, my leg will like do this for like hours. And so I've had, I'm sure Haley at some point has been like, Kyle, just stop, stop moving. Be still. You know, like, but the key here, right, at first is to be still. So Psalm 4610, you've probably heard this before, right? Psalm 4610 says this, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, I don't say that just as a nice proof text verse of where it says, be still in the Bible, right? The reason I mention that verse is because of this. You might know the the context of Psalm 46. Is the context of Psalm 46 one of like tranquility and like little Bambi pampering by the lake or whatever? Like, is it very chill or is it, I said Bambi, yes. Um, Or is it intense? You might know the context of Psalm 46. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. If you've got it pulled up, if you look at the first couple of verses, it talks about why do the nations rage, right, and plot in vain. Like, it later it talks about, like, you know, the earth being, like, thrown like a mountain into the, into the sea. Like, it's a very intense psalm. It's not one of, like, you know, uh, a nice Bob Ross trees painting kind of kind of psalm, right? <laughs> it's a very intense psalm. So why does it say, be still and know that I am God in the midst of the psalm? That, that's because that we need that, right? Because... God is saying in the midst of, through the psalm here, in the midst of a, a world that is just going insane, that it's falling apart, it seems, that, th- that the nations seem to be plotting against God himself. Be still. Stop. Like, realize that apart from me, you can do nothing. But on your own, you, you can accomplish nothing, right? Be still. Know that I am God. I've got this whole thing rigged, right? That, right, I, that I'm going to be glorified, right? That I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Right? I'm going to use you in that process, but it's not going to be really just you. It's going to be me working through you. Be still and trust me. And stop frantically running around, like trying to figure out how to solve things on your own, but trust me and rest in me, right? And that's why that, the context of that is so important, because maybe for us, we're not in the midst of like the nations raging against us, you know, um, unless you have a lot of international students who are just really angry at you on campus. Um, but like in the midst maybe of the craziness of your life right now, especially with finals coming up and all that kind of thing, right? Maybe you're even feeling that you have a lot of things even fighting for like your affection, like your attention, like your heart motives and that kind of thing. We need to hear this verse, to be still. In the midst of the craziness of what's going on right now, we need to hear God's call to be still. But another psalm, Psalm 131.2, gives us a, kind of a fleshing out what that means. So 131.2, if you want to flip over a couple of pages, however many you have there, Psalm 131.2 says this. I'll give you one second if you will look. <coughs> Excuse me. One thirty one yeah 131.2 says... But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child is um, with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. So I love that song because, like a weaned child, that's a weird phrase, we don't use weaned child. I should use it more often because it sounds really awkward, but no, um, no. But like, you think a weaned child is like, what, a three, four-year-old maybe, probably earlier than that? I don't know, I'm not a parent. But um, like a toddler, right? A kid like that is very content with its mom, right? In that sense, a a weaned child, like a a young kid, all right, feels very content with its mom. It feels very secure. It feels like it's in the right place. Haley's giving me a weird look like she's unsure about this. Um, Like a a child in its mother's arms at that age feels like, man, this is where I belong in this world. This is my safe place. I'm comfortable. I'm secure, right? That's the feeling that a weaned child has when it's with its mother. And that's what David says he feels like when he's calmed and quieted his soul with the Lord. He feels secure. It's like he's in the place where he belongs with the Lord, right? He feels this sense of restfulness. But the really fascinating thing about that verse is this, is that, does, does David say, God has calmed my soul? God has quieted my soul? No. Well, what does he say? I have calmed and I have quieted my soul, right? Now, did God calm, was God part of that? Yes, right? But there's a very active element in that, right? That David says, I have calmed, I've quieted my soul. I've been intentional, in being still, in slowing down, in reflecting on who God is so I can remember what God has done for me, right? So I can spend time listening to him, spend time hearing from his word, spend time speaking to him in prayer, right? I've I, been very intentional in this. And one more verse there to kind of flesh this out and then we'll move on to the next part uh, is this. Isaiah forty thirty one says this to kind of give us uh, a little bit more explanation. It says forty thirty one, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. They shall walk and not faint. So that gives us even an unpacking of what it means like for us to be still. What what benefits do we reap from being still? Those of us who wait on the Lord, who some translations say hope in the Lord, who trust in him, who sit with him, they shall renew their strength. They'll be renewed, right? They're going to run and not grow weary, right? They're going to um, walk and not faint. They're going to have endurance. They're not going to burn out. They're not going to suffer from the stuff that we necessarily talked about a little bit earlier, right? And so we see God's word teaching us the importance of being still. But to kind of illustrate this, um, George Schultz was the secretary of state back in the 80s, like with Reagan and that kind of thing. So in the years, kind of, I guess when I was born. Um, but one cool thing, I know I'm really old, but uh, one cool thing that he liked to do was once a week for an hour, in the midst of his busy schedule, he would always carve out one hour for quiet reflection. He would sit down in his office with a pad of paper and a pen, and he would close the door, and he would tell his secretary, hey, only interrupt me if two people call, my wife or the president. All right, which sounds awesome. I wish I could take that. Right? Um, but, um, you know, the president, yeah, if the president calls me, let me know. Right, but, but Schultz said that during his hour of solitude, it was the only way he could time, find, find time to think about the more strategic aspects of his job as secretary of state. He said otherwise he'd be constantly pulled into moment-to-moment tactical issues and never be able to focus on larger questions of like national interests, all right? And I think that applies to more than just like being the Secretary of State, is that for us, I've seen this in my life, if I constantly allow myself to be attached to social media, technology, my phone, is it keeps my brain like in the shallow end and it keeps my, my brain like with this little buzz of like anxiety and wondering what's going on with this thing like all the time to where my brain is constantly running and stalling out I don't get the chance to think about deeper things. When I find myself in a situation where I'm bored, I have nothing to do, I can just pull this thing out and just scroll through and just look at stuff and text somebody or do whatever. And we didn't have this option too many years ago. And so what happens is that we've now got ways to kind of nibble. You know, like you have your appetite, if you just nibble all the time, you're never really going to be hungry. You're going to eat like junk all the time. We find ways to nibble mentally with this thing to where we, we miss times of having deep reflection, deep, deep thinking and especially deep spiritual thinking because we're constantly just nibbling mentally on this stuff. And we don't give ourselves the time to go deep in our thoughts and reflect deeply, right? Even throughout the day, scientists say that the brain scientists, neuroscientists say that, brain scientists, it sounds so Southern, um, but uh, they say that um, the, mind, the mind people, um, they say that the times of deepest, like the times of deep thought or reflection are the times that we're the most creative in life. So if you want to be creative, (laughs) spend some time away from stuff and just have some deep thought. But that's profound. So I want to encourage you guys, and this is my practical thing for you to challenge you, is try to find five minutes a day. I want to challenge you guys for the the next couple weeks. Find five minutes a day to just be still and not do like anything. Like don't get in your phone. Don't think about what you have to do. Like, you may be tempted to think, like, oh, I have homework to do. I have work to think about. I've got a bill to pay. I've got this to sign up for. You know, someone, someone may have posted on Facebook, I need to go check my Facebook statuses, whatever. Like, no. Take five minutes a day and just sit and be still. You're going to find five minutes is really hard. <laughs> it sounds like nothing. But it feels like an eternity. When you're not used to it. But I want to encourage you guys to spend five minutes a day and just sit and be still. Just clear your mind. Right. If you want to know a little bit more about meditation, T.O. has been learning more about that recently. He may be able to help you out. There's some apps that are helpful too. Um, um, I've even tried a couple of them. They're actually really helpful. Uh, but I want to encourage you guys to spend like five minutes a day and just clear your mind and just be still. And then maybe over time begin to use that time as a time of reflection. Like on, on what God is teaching you. Like where are you at in life. What is maybe God calling you to? Maybe there's a person God will put on your heart. But so many of us are keeping our brains in the shallow ends, just kind of piddling and nibbling all the time where we don't have time for deep reflection, all right? All right, we got to finish up here in a minute. So let me do the last, the last part here. Second part is this, make a plan, all right? Make a plan, all right? Because it's really easy for me to say, hey, do five minutes a day, hey, do this, hey, be still. This is all important, you know? But if you don't make a plan to do this kind of stuff, it ain't gonna happen, all right? You guys are way too busy, we're, way, we're not nearly as good at making habits as we want to, especially good habits. All right, for us, this is to kind of happen, like, randomly. So w- you need to make a plan. All right, it doesn't happen on accident. Um, Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. All right, the plans of the diligent, people who plan out things, it leads to abundance, but people who just rush to things, don't take time to plan, leads to poverty. Not just like monetarily, like money, like it could be emotional, physical, um, you know, even spiritual poverty, right? And we see this in the life of Jesus. Because you may say like, Kyle, I don't have time to be still, right? I'll tell you this. You don't have time not to be still, right? You don't. You don't have time not to be still. And why do I say that? Because if you tell me, Kyle, I don't have time to be still, you're telling me, hey, I'm better than Jesus. You're saying I'm better than Jesus. Because if you look at the Gospels, Jesus took time to be still because he needed it. I give you three quick examples. I may have mentioned these on your sheet, but from the Gospels, looking at Jesus' life. Mark 1.35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. All right? Early in the morning. I don't like, I don't like that verse, to be honest. I don't like hearing that Jesus got up early in the morning to go pray. I don't like early mornings, all right? But it's challenging, all right? Um, John 6.15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king... Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So even at a time of like high success, when he's about to be set up as king, he's like, No, that's not the way I've come to set up my ministry to do my work on earth. He withdraws to a mountain by himself. And then Luke 5, 15 through 16. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Basically, Jesus is like rocking and rolling in ministry. He's doing really well. He's becoming famous, like people are hearing about him. They're coming to him for ministry. they come to hear him uh, preach. But this is what he does. He, but he would withdraw. Some translations even say he would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. He would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. So here's my question. If Jesus made being still and withdrawing a priority, why in the world do we think we don't need to? <laughs> why in the world do I think that I don't need time Like to just sit and be still with the Lord? in his word, resting. Like, why, why do we ever think that we're better than Jesus? Like, why do I think I am? Because I go with days and don't do this. Why do I, how cocky am I to think that, right? So we need it, right? We see Jesus live this way. We need it too, all right? So with that said, a few more things and we're done. Um, with the plan, here's the thing. Every good plan, every good sports team has a defense and an offense, right? Those of you who don't know sports very well, they have a defense and offense normally. Like, you know, if, you're, if you go to Alabama games, say, yeah, man, they're, they're sportsing so well. Like, you know, like they're just doing that. No. All right. Defense and offense. I've been an Alabama fan long enough to know that we've had seasons where we haven't had a very good defense and or offense. And it wasn't fun. Shula days were, you know, not fun. That's when I was a student. It was Shula most of the time. All right. Yeah, we don't talk. We don't say that name anymore. He's like Harry Potter. He shall not be named or whatever. Um, anyway, defense offense is important. So defensive plan for being still. Well, the defensive plan will be like the, the things you say no to the strategies you put in place to protect yourself the offensive would be the things that we say yes to the things we do put in place in our lives so defensive is more boundaries offensive is more things i'm going to do i gave you three spots on there for you to think about your defensive and offensive strategies all right i can't fill this out for you because i don't know your life all the way right you know yourself better than i do but let me give you some recommendations, and then you may want to take this home. You want to, may even want to fill out some stuff as you discussed here in just a second around your tables. Um, but let me give you a few recommendations, a few thoughts for maybe some defensive and offensive things for you. Okay, Defensive. Maybe no phones during mealtime. Put your phone in the middle of the table, face down, or something like that. No phones during mealtime. No phones after a certain time at night, maybe 10, 11 o'clock. You say, you know what, I'm done with my phone. I'm, like I told you guys I, I put my phone... Um, confession time, I've gotten out of doing this. I need to get back into it, all right? This is my confession, hold me accountable. I, I used to put my phone in my living room and plug it up and put it on the couch and then go to my bedroom and sleep. So, and I, I went old school and got me an alarm clock, all right? And use that, wait, what's that? You know, and, and use that to wake up to it. So that way I'm not looking at my phone last thing of the day and waking up to my phone, all right? Be honest, I got out of that. Last night, as I'm thinking about this message, scrolling through my Facebook page in my, in my bed, I'm like, yeah, I'm not being very good at, uh, at following what I'm t- teaching about. So yeah, things like that. I need to do that. I'm going to do that. All right? You hold me accountable to it. Um, put your phone on do not disturb. If you have an iPhone, you can put it on the little moon thing. That means do not disturb, right? If you knew, didn't know what that thing did. Um, no social media during certain times, vacations, breaks. Even take a month-long, shudder to think about it. Take a month-long technology, social media, Sabbath. You just say, I'm done. Or, I'm, I'm out. I know some of you all done that before. That could be some defensive things. Offensive, all right? Daily Bible reading. There's a lot of great... You can redeem your phone for good purposes. Like your phone can be a spiritually useful tool. There's a lot of great Bible reading plans and, and scripture memory apps the Bible app is great. The ESV app has a lot of great reading plans. Use your phone. Like for me, for real, I took where my Facebook app was at one point, deleted it and put my Bible app right there. So every time I went like instinctively to open up Facebook, the Bible was there. And I was like, oh, that's important. Yeah, you know, like I did that and it really helps. All right, so like stuff like that. Um, five, I mentioned the five minutes of solitude each day. Um, consistent prayer time, making prayer a priority in your life. Jesus did, we should too. Here's a simple one, go outside. Just go outside and, like, not try to Instagram everything when you do go sit somewhere nice. Like, don't try to be like, man, I'll put the right filter on this tree with, like, dinny chimes with the sun right behind it. Let me just get it, you know. And, like, no. Just go outside and just enjoy God's creation. And just sit there and enjoy it, you know. And just be outside and just enjoy it. Like, you, you have no idea how good that is for you, by the way. Go hammock and don't, like... Take your phone in the hammock if you have one of those things, right? I have one. Buying a hammock at one point was one of the most spiritually blessing things in my life. Like it was like one of the best things I did for a long time because I went, I went hammocked in an the arboretum and it was amazing for my spiritual health. Um, all right, and the last thing is practice Sabbath. Practice Sabbath. Like we don't do this very well and we may impact this more. And I'm still learning in this area because I work on Sundays, so it's different. But like um, practicing it one day a week where you just rest and you just say, you know, this may seem hard to believe, but even say, you know what? Like, today's my Sabbath day. I'm not going to do schoolwork on this day. I'm going to take a day off and just rest and just, like, read and just sp- spend time with people, you know, like, but just, you know, like, enjoy, like, what God is blessing with in life and just enjoy life and just get away, you know, and disconnect in some ways. Like, Sabbath is something I don't think we really get and do very well in our Western society but I think I've read some amazing articles talking about the benefits of it. Something I'm growing in, I can't say that I have a great Sabbath figured out yet, but, um, but I think it's a great thing to, to think about to practice. So with that, wrapping up with this, all right? Um, serious questions, right? As we wrap up this whole series, has technology become an idol in your life? Jared talked about that a couple weeks ago, the, the struggle of idolatry. Do you look to technology and social media to bring you satisfaction that only God was meant to give? But also... Is technology maybe robbing you of the rest that God desires for you and that you desperately need? I know it is sometimes in my life, and I want to fight that. I want to invite you guys to join in with me, okay? Wrapping up with this, Jeremiah six sixteen. I love this verse. says this, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. In a day where we're constantly inundated with the next best thing, the next best app, iPhone 15, whenever that thing comes out, like the next best iPhone or Android, if you're one of those people, right? In a day where we're constantly being inundated with the, the, <laughs> the latest, greatest stuff, right? Maybe we need to return to the ancient paths, the things that, that have been wired to help us find rest for our souls, right? So that's something to chew on for even not just the rest of the semester, but for the summer, as life looks a little bit different for some of y'all and even going into the fall as well. So I'm going to give you guys some time, uh, about 10, 15 minutes to discuss at your tables. I've um, got a couple of questions for you, and then I'll come up and wrap up, and, uh, and we'll finish out. One thing I do want to mention before we wrap up is I have a sheet over here um, where I want to know what you're doing this summer. Because I want to, first off, I want to see what, what we can do as a ministry this summer. I want to know who's going to be here so that I can plan our college summer life because if there's enough of y'all here, we can do a lot of stuff. If there's only like two of y'all here, then that changes the way we do some stuff, right? So um, so I want to know what you're doing, even if you're not going to be here. Let me know what you're doing this summer so I can pray for you too. Um, but also, uh, I want to know if you're here. So um, as we kind of finish up this discussion, and even before, before you guys leave tonight, please, everyone, if I could, would you fill this thing out? I don't need like your life story. Just tell me where you're going to be, like a couple of words what you're doing, and what your name is, all right? It'll help me out tremendously as I plan for the summer, okay? Capish. Thank you for saying that back. All right, let's pray, and then you guys discuss. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for these students. We 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 thank you for the ancient past, the disciplines you have given us, Father, or that are good for us, that restore our souls. We thank you for the rest we have in Christ, the fulfillment that only comes through Him. I pray for these students as they're in a busy time of the year that they would continue to practice being still, even in the midst of so much dew, That they would take time each day to sit and be with you, to, to hear from your word. To hear from you, Lord, and to pray and just to reflect, Lord. I pray that they would take that time because we need it so much. So I ask you would just guide us as we discuss and may you be glorified in this time tonight. We're praying for his name. Amen.